Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. He got a little pretty mouth, ain't he? almost has a sweetness to it until you found yourself being the one who has seen the movie Deliverance. Hey, it's uh, 12.15 and we're doing Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Today, we review the movie Deliverance. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the studio Mr. George Williman, the nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress. George, welcome. Uh, good day there. Oh, I tell you what. And interestingly, uh, by phone joining us today, um, our amazing um, J. Todd Anderson, who has been out in L.A., just to, especially for this movie, J. Todd, didn't you? Uh, you just went to uh, the Deep South. We're on location in South Carolina. <laughs> We're talking to J. Todd Anderson, yes, storyboard sir. artist for the Coen Brothers and now uh, working on the latest George Clooney movie. Joining us by phone to discuss, uh, and we do appreciate that extra effort for a sort of like, you know, method reviewing that you did by <laughs> moving <laughs> to the Carolinas. Okay, I just want to say one thing about this movie, and that is that I saw it as a kid, and I must have seen it with the, 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 the television edit because I thought, oh, well, that's... Yeah, that's odd. I was mortified, creeped out, and I mean, just I have not had such uh, have my the willies given to me uh, so strongly uh, for a long time. I forgot how completely creepy it is. Before we talk about why, um, let's uh, take a second to review what it is about movies that uh, can get them on this filmically perfect list, and that is, uh, you guys didn't just didn't just pull this out of thin air. Yeah, but the only thing is, is Nikki, you're at to turn the banjo music down. Yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> I was wondering where that was coming from. It was you. We, you know, we like banjos and everything, but we're going to talk about the rules here, and that's a very important <laughs> aspect of this programming. You know, not to insult any banjo players out that's there. Right. We'll do that later. Yes. <laughs> and how? <laughs> Put the banjo down. Put it down. No one will get hurt. <laughs> Come out with your walls and put the banjo down. <laughs> well, well, you know what the definition of perfect pitch is, don't you? What is that, George? Well, that's when you, when you throw a banjo into a dumpster and it doesn't hit the sides. <laughs> I didn't say that, folks. Write your cards and letters to George Rollman, nitrate... <laughs> I'm sorry. I actually, I actually do like banjo music a lot. Well, this is the movie for you if you're into banjo music because this is the movie for you. Listen, um, I have to say that um, I, as I have had a little bit of, I know I've taken a little exception with uh, your assessment of the perfect movies for the last two, but I, 
Could not agree more. Uh, everything so completely well done. And, and let's review exactly. Yes. Yeah. Let's hear it. Yes. Okay. This film is perfect because it creates the world it exists in. Rule number one. And rule number two, it wholly sustains that world. And regardless of changes in society, it retains its meaning and entertainment value. And like all the other films on this list, it is not uh, put in any sort of numerical or or number of stars or no, no thumbs here. up, nothing like that. It is and on its own two reels. It is perfect <laughs> in its in its uh, banjo scale. Yes, it is. Honestly, let's talk a little bit about the setup of this movie. Apparently, um, it's based on a story. The author of the uh, of the tale, actually, James Dickey, yeah. one of our greatest, working extensively and with the director on the movie, which I find yeah, it's really, really well. interesting. Uh, James Dickey was actually quite well established as a poet and uh, was teaching at the University of South Carolina and wrote the novel Deliverance. It was his first novel. Became quite uh, first popular. First novel. Yep. He was also in World War Two because. There was a, a book called To the White Sea that the Coen brothers were going to do a few years ago, and he wrote that book. Um, and I believe that he was a tail gunner, gunner in, in World War II. I'm yeah, not I, sure about that, but I, I think, think that he is was. Correct. He definitely had a lot of combat experience during World War II. And he's also in this movie with some of the worst teeth you've ever seen. <laughs> well, better than most in the movie. Yeah, better, I have than, to better say. than. Uh, this is a theme guy. movie for teeth, banjos, river, and lots of really intimidating woodsmen. Man. Honestly. So the 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 the, uh, the novel uh, was uh, recognized by someone as uh, being right. exceptionally good story. Right. I mean, it was very story. very popular, and and uh, and when they came to make the movie, they were there, there were different directors vying to be able to direct this. The one who uh, worked the hardest on it was the one who finally got to do it, uh, John Borman, a, a British director, actually, uh, this is very early in his career. This is probably his first really big production to get him to get him noticed. Uh, they'd also had sort of looked uh, toward um, Robert Aldrich, the director of uh, Kiss Me Deadly and um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, and uh, Sam Peckinpah, who had just finished uh, The Wild Bunch. And boy, this movie would have been considerably you know, different if Sam Peckinpah had done it. George and I have said it before that sometimes it takes a foreign-born uh, director to really bring out the best in American culture and style, and uh, it's really, he really did that in this picture here, Wasn't you know, like Sergio Leone and all these guys, like Sergio Leone, one time he said that if Americans stop behaving like Americans, we will take America away from them, you know? <laughs> wasn't it was a foreign director that did the uh, double indemnity, wasn't it? That, uh, uh, no, yeah, no, Billy Wilder, German. German. He was yeah. born, and, and but he became an American. Yeah. yeah. He became one of us. So, so uh, just really interesting perspective. Obviously, uh, Dickie, the uh, author, growing up in the South, because I don't think you can make this stuff up. Uh, no, that's, <laughs> uh, that's one thing I think that really adds a layer of. That's of, the scary part about it. Still to this day, you yeah. know. Honestly. Well, I, I don't think an author from like New York or Los Angeles could have done quite as successful a job. And and one of the great things that this happens so little that uh, James Dickey not only wrote the novel but he wrote the screenplay. So it's probably his first attempt at a screenplay, too, which is truly astonishing because it's a right very tight screenplay. Now, and if you watch this movie, it really doesn't take on your typical pattern or, you know, or form in a movie and plot lines and everything. It just keeps unraveling itself and evolving. And the, uh, you know, the uh, Asian mantra is water seeks its own level. Well, this, that brings a new meaning to this movie because water does seek its own level in this picture in many, many different ways. Which brings us to kind of the setting. It's uh, certainly water-based, and the reason why these Three city guys four, are, are you're right. Four, four. right. I'm sorry, I already had one, one killed, killed off in Don't my kill mind. Don't kill him off too soon, there. Honestly, Nikki. he uh, 
it's the Burt Reynolds character. I forget the name now. Yeah, Lewis. Lewis, who realizes that they're going to flood this river. By the way, does anyone know if that's actually true? Did they flood a river? Is um, that They actual? did some. To, I don't know if it was exactly that river, but they, they, they did that quite a bit down there because they need to get more um, more electrical power. Uh, probably part of the like the the follow up to like Valley the Tennessee Authority, Valley Authority, kind of stuff. and they were filling in a lot of um, a lot of uh, valleys down there to use as as electro dams. So basically, they're getting rid of the river, which is uh, interestingly put by uh, the Lewis character by saying they're going to drown the river drown, yeah. and, uh, and and raise it up into a lake. So it's gone. And he wants to run this rapid before it's all done, and that's the setting that starts this just. Yeah, Lewis looks like he. Lewis looks like he's just went to the sportsman store and bought all his his gear. Yeah, you know, he's got have the wetsuit vest. Wet like he's gonna tame that river. Yeah, well, know? he is, and he is like the sportsman of the group because he's got the big the big bow and um, bows and arrows, and and all the others are kind of you know that uh, Ronnie Cox's character I think was supposed to be like a soda pop. Salesman, or yeah, and Ned Beatty's an insurance. Ned Beatty's guy. an insurance man. Unlikely and he's, and, and, adventurers. And, and Ned Beatty, I think, is also the only single one of the group. He's yeah, the and, only and these one guys, they all think that they're going to tame wild animals in the river. And boy, have they got a different thing coming, man! When they meet those two boys in the woods, whoa! Right. Well, and, and that totally comes out of comes out of left field because they're just you know everything's going great. They're heading down the river. They spend the night on the shore, and the only thing that happens bad to them there the banjo is banjo music. Get, banjo music's get, great. He has a little concert with a like a. <laughs> You know this really weird-looking kid on a porch. You know, as there, as limited there... gene pool banjo player on a porch, and they duel off. You know, and they say it's dueling banjos, but it's a guitar and a banjo. Guitar and a banjo. Know? And by the yeah. way, that song I remember it as a kid was a huge hit on they top forty radio. Time, yeah. Huge hit. And by the way, just a couple of things. And uh, all, all this, by the way, speaks to rule number one that it creates the world that it, it exists does, in. Man. It really They're... does. And by adding this, they arrive at the river about to be flooded and playing with this banjo boy. Which, by the way, that child has fetal alcohol syndrome there's no question about it this <laughs> seriously that mom was drinking during pregnancy um with just little slits for eyes and a flattened face and just so creepy and and that they then add this little element Actually, I as heard a, that, that kid was like gator bait or something and they you know then they decided that he could play banjo and they put him in the movie that's, that's not true because he couldn't play banjo they had to use a stunt picker stunt picker for they the used banjo, his yeah. left hand he couldn't play banjo at all however i mean th- that character was is so ingrained in our in our national psyche now that when tim burton made big fish in 2003 he sought out that kid who's of course now an adult who was a dishwasher at a restaurant down south down and got Georgia. him to do a, a cameo in big fish as the banjo I guess Banjo Man now. Yeah. Banjo Man. So setting the scene, it's really so beautifully done. You're taken into the backwoods. You meet uh, the Banjo Boy and all these people that clearly there's a big cultural divide here. So that absolutely sets the scene. they're all trying to get their courage up because, you know, occasionally they try to kill animals, you know. And then, you know, Lewis shows them how to kill animals. And then uh, they're all bravado, man, and they're just they're working on down that river. They're going to conquer it. And then... Yeah, the the bend in the river, <laughs> or maybe or, may, or maybe it's the bend over in the river. I don't know. Oh, um, oh. sorry. Now I never did. You get any inkling any, uh, greater than what I did? So there they find themselves. The two of them they're separated. They stop off and they're greeted by two. Let's just say woodsmen. Is that right. what we would call them? They're like yeah. That's just, a politically a correct term. Do you days. get the feeling? Do you get the feeling that they <laughs> they came after them because they were being such city folk, arrogant? Uh, I think they came. I think at first the, the meeting at first was somewhat on equal terms, but 
The moment they found the out two, that they could take advantage of Right. The guys, moment the know. two guys realized that they were, uh, you know, that the city boys were a little bit leery of them, they took the high road and decided yeah. to just run with And they them. found Ned Beatty very attractive. They did. Yes. Now, now here's uh, – so – as far as the rules go, Which, rule number three about uh, despite cultural changes, they maintain their uh, entertainment value and uh, cultural relevance. They're mm-hmm. to this day. Now, just for example, a couple of the interns around here I've been mentioning this morning is like, yeah, we're reviewing Deliverance today. Oh, man, remember that? They've never even seen the movie, but no. they've heard dueling well, banjos, and they've heard people say, you got a real pretty mouth. I and can't sp- say how many times I've been on a tech scout in a van, you know, and somebody will say that line, boy, you sure got a pretty mouth. Man, I'm telling you, that what? catchphrase sticks with every movie crew I've ever worked and, with. And what's really interesting is like so many of the popular catchphrases, it's remembered wrong. Because yep. he doesn't right. say he doesn't say you got a pretty mouth or you sure got a pretty mouth. Yep. He turns to the other woodsman and says, He's sure got a he's sure got a yeah, pretty mouth. Yeah. And he says it really low because I've stopped it, you know, because I've heard it so many times, you know. And people just instantly light up and smile because it's 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 so ingrained in us, you know. It's really rule three Oh absolutely. Plus you know, this line has become synonymous with like the Twilight Zone for something, yeah. except for it's like a, the creepy version of the Twilight Zone theme. You know, it's like a musical uh, yep, <laughs> sort of yep. its own musical I've, slogan. I've, some, I've writ, read in areas of criticism that these two guys kind of get the badge of honor for the creepiest villains of history, oh, movie man. history. I've read that several times where they think that these two guys are the creepiest villains that have ever lived in movies. You well, know, that's saying something for you know the history of film, don't you think? George. It is, it's a, and especially when you consider that they're only in the film for like less than ten minutes. Yep, yep. They really are, and I tell you, Bill McKinney, who plays the the rapist, uh, to me, he gets the award for probably one of the best actors playing dead that I've ever seen. Because <laughs> there are shots where he is just hanging on this tree branch with his eyes wide open, and he doesn't blink. And he's he got doesn't his cheek move. all smushed up, I mean, and it's just absolutely sits there. amazing. And he dies really slow. Right. And well. <laughs> he dies so slow. You can almost hear him in his mind thinking, he doesn't have such a pretty mouth now. <laughs> <laughs> so they find themselves at the mercy, at the whim of these two guys that pretty much have their way until the Burt Reynolds character arrives and basically right. saves the other one from certain humiliation and possibly they were going to kill them both yeah, when I mean, they were just, done with yeah, them anyway. Yeah, Lewis, Lewis punctures the, uh, the rapist with an arrow right through the middle yeah. of the chest. And, and so he dies very slowly. At that slowly. point comes this, this really uh, quite amazing, almost the, the centerpiece of the film where the four of them and are working out, trying to work out their moral issues on what are they going to do with this guy? Yeah. Are they going to leave him? Are they going to take him upriver to the sheriff? Are they going to bury him? And and finally, it's Ned Beatty that's sort of given the given the choice of what are they going to do. And he goes, and the first thing he says after his whole ordeal is, bury him. I don't want anyone talking about this. Okay. And Ned Beatty's character changes at this point on. He becomes like a docile creature. All the characters, who they were and what they represented in their former life become different people in this movie. Yeah, they, everyone and the movie, kind of switches. yet again, evolves, as I love to say, it gets better. And right, and the only character who doesn't change, which is Ronnie Cox's uh, Drew character, the only reason he doesn't change is because he gets shot in the head. Because he gets killed ahead. before right. he can change. That's yeah. how he changes. He becomes dead. He becomes dead. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then in the Lewis guy, he gets injured to the point where he becomes... 
he, he just becomes an invalid. And this, yeah. this macho guy, and this is Burt Reynolds in, in his heyday, you know? This is Burt Reynolds, and all of a sudden he becomes this – this flotsam jetsam in yeah. this current, you know, with these guys, and they got to save him. And he really comes through at the end, you know, when they go. Uh, I'm not going to go that far, but uh, he he really create, you know, perfectly caps this film at the end with what he says in the hospital bed at the end, you know. Yeah. Which remind me that I let me say first the line going in something he uses they're talking they're driving to see if they can get somebody to drive their cars down river so they can pick them up when they're done and he goes talking to his uh, the only decent start, at least starting out decent uh, guy uh, Drew in the bunch and he says yeah you know insurance who buys insurance I don't want insurance it's again overrated. it's another insurance yeah there's no yeah. risk no, there's no risk here. I love that line <laughs> why why would you buy insurance there's no risk in that and I thought wow well there you go well I should also point out uh, one of the the last characters we haven't really mentioned John Voight who plays Ed yeah. uh, He's and the John Voight John Voight is the star because at that point he was the only one I mean he had been in uh, Midnight Cowboy just like two three years earlier which of course best picture so Voight is the star and he gets sort of the lion's share of stuff to do and his character kind of undergoes the biggest change because at the beginning he's very you know, he's somewhat docile. He doesn't, you know, Lewis asks him, why do you go on these trips with me? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> and when he goes out the morning after the their first night there, he, he gets a beat on a deer with a bow and arrow. Cannot, sh- he tries cannot to shoot. shoot. Right. It's really great. His hand gets all shaky. Yeah. It's just a wonderful piece of editing there. And, but, that, and that, then that theme represents itself again but, at a yeah. more critical point. First of all, now before we get too much further, <clears throat> the general discussion, uh, mm-hmm. tell us, so they've, they've met these guys. They shot him. They decide to bury him. And they head on down the river. But things... Do not get any better. Right. Well, within a few moments, they hit the rapids. Yep. And the and, rapids change everything. And the rapids get really wild. And that's at the point where uh, Drew, who's sitting in the front of the first canoe, which is wooden, uh, gets shot and falls out of the canoe. But we're not sure of that until later. He right. He just right, later sort of makes I a weird motion and falls. Frame and it looks like he just falls out of the boat. I yeah, did that know? too, Jay. That's one thing I know. And that's sort of a, sort of a Borman thing is to kind of keep you off balance. I mean, yeah, later on, Lewis says... He was shot. He, he was, was shot. shot, but you're not sure. And yeah. then, and then even later on, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but later on when uh, they have the, the next person, the next victim, uh, and they're not sure if it's if it's the other guy or not, and they never clarify that Mm-mm. really. Yeah, right to the end, you're never. Yeah. In fact, from what I understand, there was a scene shot for the ending where Sheriff Bullard has them come back and they've dredged a body out of the uh, out of the river. And they go to uncover it, and they deliberately the John Borman shoots it, so you cannot see yep. whose face it is. You know, Nikki, there's, there's one thing that, that people don't really uh, examine a lot about this movie because it is so good narratively. Is the form of this picture is just unbelievable, and I'm talking about the cinematic form because. George and I have had discussions on how we think this movie was made in editing because the river, they had a terrible time shooting this movie. They had great deals of difficulty because they only had a small crew, but they were shooting in the river quite a bit. And it's my guess that they ran out a lot of loads of film, and they built this baby on the editing table back in the old days when they cut film. Because if you watch this thing, it is immaculately cut. It really is beautiful. And it's not like the, nowadays we have computers and everything. And I, I asked George the other night, I said, do you think it would be a better picture if they would have had all the technology available to cut movies, like on the new computer systems that they I, have? I know? don't think so, because I think the, the, the ability or inability to be able to do a lot of fast Fast, fancy cutting and stuff like that actually it would have helps. the movie, don't you think, George? No, because from what I understand, reading an article today about it in, in a book that I have, uh, Borman pretty much 
you know, they shot the, the, the dueling banjo scene first. And then the rest of the movie was pretty much shot in order as you see it happen. Yeah, sequentially. Because they're going down Which the river. hardly ever happens. Usually schedules are dictated by actors and things like that, and they hardly can ever shoot in sequence. Hardly ever. It seems like it would, that would be such the good way to do it. Just it as is, far but as there's... nobody can ever do that, you know? Well, seems like they could. They well, had to. Things aren't always what they seem, yeah. Nikki. <laughs> right. I mean, if you, have a, if you have a film like this where the location is the location, where there's nothing, you know, they're not going to houses and stuff like that, and bouncing back and forth from room right. to room. Yeah, you can. You can. In but fact, you, they're you, know, you hang to. on these shots with your eyes. You watch them. You watch them. And what you're watching there is seriously good editing, man. Plus, um, seriously good photography. Like, for example, when the way they shot the two woodsmen that come up on uh, John Voight and uh, Ned, Ned Beatty, um, before they get there, that you just see this motion behind almost solid pattern yep. of leaves. But it's clearly, I mean, that is frightening. And, the birds are and it's really a nice day in the forest, except for except our for the, two boys. You yeah. Know? <laughs> oh, just so well done. I will mention that the editor uh, on this picture was Tom Priestley. Because um, yes, we very seldom ever talk about editing, but I'll tell you, this movie is the edited piece, don't you think, George? Yes, uh, I, I think it's, it, got, it got a, didn't it get nominated for best. It editing? got nominated for Tom Priestley got nominated for best editing, and it also got nominations for best picture and best director. Yeah, and it got lots of nominations. Didn't win anything. That's not the lot of cameraman win. because I'm I'm sure that uh, Velos had a very very and it looks great, but very seldom do you ever see. First of all, you're dealing with water, and people don't realize when you get get cameras around water, yeah. things instantly become more or any kind of electrical Plus, device. It's a, yeah. it's a Panavision camera now. I don't. I'm just guessing. Isn't I don't that think a they bigger shot with camera? Panavision back it, then? I think they were Aries, the real small. I think Aries. they're yeah. The pictures I've seen, they are small Aries, but they would have had a, a humongous heavy uh, uh, widescreen lens on them, yep. uh, which which added a quite a bit of weight. And, and probably and a if 500 they used, feet load. Yeah, I was going to say, if, they're using a, if they have to use a small portable camera, they're only going to get like two or three minutes worth of film in that camera. You know, just and, crazy. And if you notice uh, the uh, the scene where um, where he scales, or John Voight scales the cliff at night is, is shot day for night. It had to be. Because yeah, they, the they couldn't way. get lights up there. And then they did so, – it looks like they did some odd sort of uh, – Bluing or something. Bluing or solarizing of the image, which gives it a really I – mean, Even I creepier it, like, edge. Look at the way this looks. It's, yeah. It keeps getting creepier and creepier. Even after the villains leave, you're just – you're surrounded by this darkness in this movie. And at the end, the light comes through. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to patch for what they've done, you know. Yeah. And then George and I, this is one of our favorite scenes of all movies, is where Ned Beatty is eating dinner with all the with all the folks in the hotel. The whole folks, and then John Voight breaks down and cries for like it seems like five minutes, but I'm sure it's only, yeah, it's like, only 30. like thirty seconds. <laughs> but it's such a great because I was cut scene after they did all this yeah. fabulous cutting in the river. They had this wonderful food eating scene, which so many things in movies happen great over food. You yeah. know, if you yeah. don't believe me, watch, you know, Sopranos uses food all the time, and there's all sorts of movies, but here they are eating, and he stops and cries, and then they go back to it, and Ned Beatty is He's the guy that was raped, and he's just fine. Yeah, yeah and he's talking to the guy next to him about how good the corn is. <laughs> it's really, it's a fabulous scene. And I, I got to think about why is, you know, why... That's fine corn, isn't it? Why, uh, why, why John Voight breaks down, and it could be, you know, he, you know they've survived, or he's finally, he realizes that not all these people out in these woods are, are that, crazy, yeah. crazy right. rapists. They're I such caught him nice looking people. at Ned Beatty before he broke down. Yes. It could be because maybe he knew Ned Beatty, you know, and that helped motivate him. I don't know. But this yeah. is Ned Beatty's first film as 
as recorded on the IMDb, yeah. and probably one of his finest performances. You know, I have. I mean, I have just you know, huge scads of respect for him now as an actor because what he. What he allowed himself to be put through as an actor. That could be typecasting, you know. I mean, he could have easily just been typed as well. That's a, he's just ruined. Yeah, like he's never gonna. Be... <laughs> but no, <laughs> that's it. Think about it. Squeal like a pig. That is rule number three in spades. Just <laughs> they slap him and has a great sound effect, you know. And Again, I saw the edited version as a kid. I think up until this week, I had never seen the unedited version, and I cannot. Yeah, tell that, you how that creeped scene, out I am. That scene is the one scene in the movie that most often gets cut, not only here, but also yeah. in, uh, when it's shown in Europe. And you know, I imagine. in 1972, I was 12 years old in 1972, I remember people that had went and seen this movie in the theaters, and they just, they whisper about it. Oh, I saw Deliverance, you know. Wow. <laughs> you know, They never ever said, you got to see this movie. It was always whispered but tones. Yeah, I, I, did you see Deliverance? Yeah, I, I saw, saw Deliverance. It really rattled people, mm-hmm. especially that scene. <laughs> So they make it all back, and actually um, it comes to the moment about whether or not, how they're going to handle it, and they basically decide that mom's the word, nothing said, it never happened, we know nothing about it. They lied about where the break in the canoe was, I mean, at what point of the river, there was some suspicion about that. And Lewis regains his leadership. And he whispers to him on this hospital bed how they're going to handle everything. And they follow him. They follow him. And then James Dickey himself comes over and does... Right. Know, this is where, and this is a little shot. He walks over a time-honored shot. He walks over to the window and goes right. through. And mostly, you see is his teeth. Go ahead and, and play that little piece there for us, Nikki. Don't ever do nothing like this again. Don't come back up here. You don't have to worry about that, Sheriff. I'd kind of like to see this town die peaceful. I hope Deputy Queen finds his brother-in-law. Oh, he'll come in drunk, probably. Of course, he ain't going to be coming in drunk. Yeah. Yeah, you know, every time I think some people, when they watch that movie, they kind of sit there. When he says, don't ever come back here again, everybody says, we're not coming. We're not coming. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear all the audience members. I just watch them in the living room going, oh, no, Sheriff, we won't be back. No, no, no. I'm surprised Georgia Tourism didn't try to do something to get this film banned. What was really interesting is what I read. Within a year, over 30 people died down in the Chattooga River trying to retrace their route. (laughs) Oh, that's sad. There is no chick. I'm right, George. Well, no, there, there's a Chattooga. The Chattooga River is the river that was used for the movie. The river, the river they're supposedly on is the Shotahoo or something. It has an uh, extra Kahulawasi River. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. but that doesn't exist, correct? Yeah, as far as I know, that does not exist. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. bizarre that people would go get their rubber rafts and you know go dressing up like Burt Reynolds and go chasing you know Hill Jacks in the woods? Think down about there? that poor Japanese woman that tried to find the money in, in Fargo. Fargo. I mean, oh, yeah. heaven, people take this stuff seriously. <laughs> Indeed, they do. Hey, we're winding up. We have just about uh, two or three minutes left here. and um, It's a perfect movie, Deliverance, man. Is. I can watch it over and over and over again. It's such, from every perspective, <laughs> it's a great, perfect movie. And it's got, I mean, it's got great performances from all four of its actors who are still going on today. I mean, all four of them are still busy as ever. And the serenity and the tone of this picture will just suck you in, and you cannot get out. It's yeah. too good. You're exactly right about that. You're sucked into and, the beauty and then just blindsided with the, the, the horror. Little, and, and it's one that is shown a lot. In fact, 
fact, it's coming up on uh, on television again this weekend twice. Really? They and, play it all the time. Yep. Why? And yeah. and uh, well, a little funny sidelight is uh, uh, the TBS network had had or has a thing called Dinner and a Movie, and they actually <laughs> featured Deliverance. <laughs> As one of their God. dinner and a movie films, now I just imagine up. what the dinner was. Enjoy corn, <laughs> moon pies, and, moon and, pies RC and, cola. and RC cola. Corn and corn. corn. Hey, also Ed O'Neill from Married, Cho- Married with Children's in this movie oh, at that's the end. Right. That's Very right. handsome Ed O'Neill, and he's the sheriff's deputy. See if you can spot him. Check it out. We've been talking about Deliverance on Filmically Perfect on ninety-one-three WYSO. We do it every Friday at 12.15. If you would like to uh, hear this again, stop by our website. At uh, Actually, the, ge- the gentleman's website is perfectmovie.net. You can send an email to filmguys at We get lots of good suggestions from people. We do. Also stop by the WYSO website, wyso.org. It links over to perfectmovie.net. We do want to hear your suggestions. We really appreciate your feedback. We hope hey, that next you... week you know what we're doing, Nikki, right? What is it? Oh, next week Ooh, we are, and we're going into gonna a, love this one, Nikki. A, you deep, are... a deep, deep study of the split personality with one of the finest directors ever to live, American director, uh, the Nutty Professor with Jerry Lewis. Get out. More dissertations <laughs> on, like, uh, behavior of per- split personalities. We're going to do it. Stay tuned uh, for yeah, that. Yeah, this is a so great movie. <laughs> Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.